This is not a new story. And tonight I'm joined by RNZ producer and history enthusiast Robert Kelly to look at the sinking of the RMS Niagara in 1940. It's a New Zealand shipwreck story complete with sunken gold. But there's something else in the ship as well which is causing concern. It's oil. So there's still oil in the ship and uh, there is concern about how that seeps out. So now... It's an urgent story. The Niagara is going to go at some stage. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it's an increasingly frustrating one. Everybody's aware of it. Everybody wrings their hands over it. Everybody's concerned that it's going to cost money. Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell, and today on The Detail, the wreck of the RMS Niagara. It's sitting and corroding on the seabed off Bream Head at the northern edge of the Horaki Gulf Marine Park. It has oil on board, possibly lots of it, way more than the Rena had. How much more? We don't know. And that's the problem. Because no one is willing to pay the million or so dollars it will cost to survey the wreck. We have this this sort of brooding risk, um, potentially catastrophic risk to the health not only of the Hauraki Gulf, but the health of our marine life and our communities that live around that area. Alex Rogers is the executive officer of the Hauraki Gulf Forum, which is trying to ramp up the pressure on the government to act. He's hoping for a ministerial meeting next week. The northern waters of the Horeki Gulf are where our brooders whales live. Those are our resident tohora, our whales. That's where the fairy tern um, resides, uh, one of our most endangered birds nationally. And it is, it is home to some of the most beautiful biodiverse marine life anywhere in the country. And the Niagara is um, sitting there at 120 metres depth um, in the northern waters of the Gulf. And uh, it's just ticking away at the moment. Like a time bomb. It is. Uh, and, you know, this has been 83 years in the making. Um, and But we're at the period now which they call peak leak. So all around the world there are these wrecks from World War II that uh, are corroding, uh, degrading, and they're all going to go at some point. Danger is lurking off our coasts and hardly anybody suspects anything. A rusting legacy of the past, ticking time bombs. I take you back to June 1940. The Niagara leaves port uh, in Auckland, bound for Vancouver. It's going to go via Suva and Honolulu. And it's got around 350 passengers and crew aboard, but it's also carrying a secret. The Niagara has in its hold around 590 gold bars. This is payment between the United Kingdom and the United States for munitions. And uh, these gold bars are worth the equivalent of 400 million New Zealand dollars in today's terms. So these were being shipped from here to Canada to then go on to the States. Um, But unknownst to us, the Germans also had a secret at that time. They had recently come into the northern waters of the Horeki Gulf, unnoticed, and had laid uh, sea mines across the entrance to the Horeki Gulf. All right, I'm sensing a collision story comes (laughs) next. Yeah, so at 3am on the morning after the Niagara left the port of Auckland, kabam, it hit a German mine in the northern waters of the marine park. Uh, it took about two hours to sink. The fore, the fore um, area, the, the front of the ship was severely damaged by the, the explosion um, from the mine. 
And luckily, all 350 passengers and crew got off alive. The only recorded casualty was the ship's cat, a cat called Ozzy, um, who apparently went down with the wreck. Uh, but everybody got off alive, um, but the ship and the gold contained within it sunk to the bottom of the seafloor, and there were urgent efforts thereafter to recover the gold, as you might imagine. So the year after, almost all of the gold was recovered, and then another operation about a decade later recovered all but five gold bars. So there are five gold bars down there? There are, in theory, five gold bars down there, and that would have a current value well in excess of a million dollars. Why has the ship lain there for so long? I guess uh, once the gold was removed, in most people's eyes, it had very little value. Um, so it was a known wreck. It was known that the, the, you know, the front half of the ship was very badly damaged and that most of the oil would have escaped from that part of the ship. Um, but to be honest, once the gold was out, there was not a lot of wider interest in finding out much more about it until along uh, comes a, a New Zealander by the name of Keith Gordon in the 80s and starts putting his remote-operated vehicle down there to take a look at the wreck. It's a shipwreck uh, with a great history and uh, it was always beyond reach in a lot of ways. It was always viewed as being the Mount Everest of New Zealand shipwrecks as far as divers go, but it was beyond the technology back in those uh, days when we were interested in it. This is Keith Gordon, the first person to raise the alarm over the leaking oil. And um, when I acquired a remote-operated vehicle, uh, we thought, well, OK, let's go and see what the Niagara's all about. And so in 1988, uh, we went out the wreck site and uh, put the ROV down, uh, which allowed us to view in real time and telepresence was more or less affecting us as though we were actually there. At the same time, I took out a salvage agreement with Her Majesty's Government on the gold that uh, was uh, reported still remaining on the wreck. So that was always a big attraction. And people would always, when you mention the Niagara, the first thing people would always mention or was interested, well, what about the gold? But now it's, uh, what about the oil problem? So the gold's still there. Viscous drops of oil run out of the grab. The researchers call them the black tears of the sea. It was also the first ship to be certified to use oil as a uh, fuel. It actually, when it was launched on its maiden voyage out to New Zealand, it did burn coal. But then it was converted to oil because it was far cheaper to operate on oil. And operating to the uh, North America, they could, uh, you know, oil was uh, quite quite uh, easily available up there. Somewhat ironic now that that oil is at the bottom of the sea and threatening to come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the. Uh, the actual amount of oil that the tank's uh, total capacity that the ship could carry was 4,324 tonnes of oil when she was fully fuelled. And, of course, it used uh, it needed quite a lot of oil to sail that Pacific uh, uh, distance from Sydney through up, up to um, uh, Vancouver. And um, as such, uh, on those voyages, she, she was carrying a, a quite, a, quite a large amount of oil. Have you seen oil come up from the wreck? Yeah, that was during our uh, explorations of the wreck. Uh, 
Way, way back when we were using the ROV and even we're out there involved doing filming too at times uh, for uh, like Discovery Channel and that and oil was always coming up. And one, one, car, one occasion when we were based at Tutakaka where I did live and we would sit out from Tutakaka and one occasion we did hit an oil slick 15 kilometres long. It was the old story, follow the oil and you'd find the wreck. So what year was this? This is in the 90s. Uh, yes, yeah. Mm. The, uh, when it first uh, started with the ROV, it was uh, 1988, and I uh, did, did write a letter to the authorities uh, expressing our concern on, I think it would have been 1989, 1990, reporting, you know, that we felt there was still a lot of oil there. In fact... Uh, uh, the Herald uh, reporter, Graham Scott, who used to follow our activities uh, quite closely, he even uh, made a point in uh, his newspaper reporting at the time and articles about the danger of the oil. And over the years, there was regular reports uh, uh, about the danger of this oil. Um, there was sort of headlines in the media like uh, ticking time bomb, ecological time bomb in the Gulf. And there'd be various uh, statements made and, and government replies. And uh, in a lot of cases, there was situations like they would state, oh, the oil is too cold. Uh, you know, the oil would be actually solid, so there was no danger. But, but even in the middle of winter, you know, the water temperature down on the wreck would be somewhere around about 12 or 14 degrees centigrade. And... <laughs> So it certainly wasn't uh, freezing, like uh, they were trying to give the impression. So it was, it's been a worry over the years. Uh, we There's been a lot of uh, different uh, groups, ecological, and um, and people were concerned about the, the birds, uh, the, especially if we uh, have got some quite critical uh, bird life out there. Uh, what the soil could do, you know, if it erupted. Mm. But I guess if you were the government and you wanted to save money, you could say, well, you've been raising the alarm bells for 33 years now and nothing's happened. Why should we move? It probably won't happen. Well, yeah, the point is the, the wreck, you know, what we found, it's laying on its side, on its port side, and uh, it is degrading and it's biologically imploding. It, it's it's now been down there well over 80 years. Another point of interest, too, is that it was the first ship sunk by enemy action in World War II because the Japanese weren't in the war at that stage and the Germans came out here in secrecy and uh, laid 228 mines across the entrance to Auckland. And uh, so the Niagara hit the mines. And, it was, and nowadays, of course, we've got... Big concern, especially up in the Pacific Islands, of a lot of the wartime wrecks there leaking oil. And there's uh, a lot of investigation going on at the moment and surveys. In fact, there's some of our associate divers from uh, Auckland here at the moment up in truck uh, doing a survey on the Japanese fleet there. And uh, there's a lot of concern there, as whereas here we are in New Zealand, we've got the first ship sunk in the war sitting here, and uh, nobody is even attempting to do a survey at this stage, well, you know, none of the authorities are. So we, we feel that, you know, it is a high-risk wreck and it is biologically imploding. It's subject to other corrosive action of uh, from the ocean 
Uh, you get earthquakes out there. So the ship lying on its side is degrading. And we, we've seen, uh, over the years we've been exploring the wreck, we have seen it uh, deteriorating, you know, large uh, structural parts collapsing. And in time, that ship is going to collapse. As I say, it's laying on its side. It's, uh, it's going to collapse in. And, and if the soil, as we think, is still in some of the tanks, it could be suddenly released as a, quite an eruption of oil. If that back half of the ship contains the oil that we think it might, it could contain up to 1,600 tonnes of, of oil. And it's not the petrol you get out of the service station. This is heavy furnace slick, you know, thick tar oil. Um, 1,600 tonnes. 1,600 tonnes. So how much did the Rena have? So the Rena, by comparison, had 300 tonnes. Yeah. Now, the experts will say that not all of the 1,600 tonnes, if indeed there is that much, would go at once, um, but it does put it into comparison that the Rena, which cost $47 million just for the cleanup, not to mention the devastation for the surrounding area, um, is far, far smaller than the potential risk here from the Niagara. It was our worst in maritime environmental disaster. Early in the morning, the MV Rena slammed into the Astrolab Reef off Tauranga. 350 tonnes of oil leaked into the sea, blanketing the coastline in black sludge, killing marine life and native birds. What we have here is a risk where it could be low. There is a chance that all the oil has slowly seeped out over many years. We know from divers that have been down there that they see a slick of oil, like a little kind of wisp, um, a few centimetres long, escaping the wreck every five seconds or so. This is still happening right now. Um, but it could hold up to 1,600 tonnes. And if that oil was released en masse in that northern part of the Hariki Gulf, it would be absolutely catastrophic. I cannot underscore how uh, significant that would be not just for Auckland and for Northland, um, but for New Zealand as a whole. This would be our worst ever um, oil spill. How sure are you that this really is the urgent problem that we're saying it is? We're not. And that's the challenge here, is we simply don't know how big of a risk this is. What we do know is that we're now at the time where this risk happens um, and, you know, in the near future. We're now in this peak leak period. The the wreck has been down there 83 years. It is severely corroded. And at some point soon it will go. And we will find out. But I would rather not find out in that way um, with a potentially catastrophic uh, scenario for this country. I would rather find out right now um, the level of the risk we are running and then take appropriate action to deal with it. Does it make you mad, the inaction on this? It makes me confused, to be honest, because it seems like such a simple calculation. Um, you know, 800,000 to a million and a half down to avert $100 billion worth of um, potential risk. So for me and for the forum, it's a no-brainer to get this done. What if the worst happens? We have a big storm, something breaks. Describe to me what will happen. Will, who will first see it? Is it going to take shape in the form of a sort of blobs appearing on beaches? So hopefully uh, there will be early kind of detection, either from bodies who just happen to be out there. Um, we know satellites can pick up oil on the surface of the water. And uh, Maritime New Zealand has already planned for um, its response to this. So there's a plan in place for 
the uh, the you know the dark day where this actually happens, um, and it involves a heck of a lot of kit which they have already in storage. Uh, and so on the kind of capacity to respond side, New Zealand is, is reasonably well prepared. But again, it depends on the conditions that we meet at that time. It can be very, very difficult to get on top of these things. And if you don't do so quickly enough, they can turn into much broader disasters with longer reaching consequences. All the years you've been raising the alarm bells, then the RENA, is it frustrating that no one seems to want to do anything about it? Uh, no, you know, like uh, all due respects, um, Maritime New Zealand, I know I've uh, been done a presentation to them and talked to them. They've been very concerned and they still are very concerned. And I know they 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 agree too that what's required is a, is a first phase, of, you know, for a risk assessment survey to be carried out to assess the structure and integrity of the hull or the wreck and, and the degradation that is happening around the fuel tank areas. And, you know, just to try and assess what is, how big the problem is. But from my understanding is, although they've put in a budget each year, the ministry has not approved it. So they, I know they're frustrated, no doubt, in some ways. Uh, really, at the end of the day, it will be more or less Maritime New Zealand that will be involved with uh, getting the survey done. But what they need is the money to do it. I mean, the technology's there, and even more so now than just a few years ago. There's been a range of uh, looks, I guess, at the wreck over time, uh, both from remote-operated vehicles, submersibles, and also divers that have gone down. And uh, they've had a look around as much as they can, but they have not yet got to the point where they have a full map of the wreck or indeed full imaging, sort of 360 imaging, particularly of the rear of the wreck, which is what we really need. So at this stage, we still have very limited information on the thickness of the steel, the corrosion, um, and also we're now seeing increased climate change impacting the marine park and our marine environment. So more movement um, and also warming waters as well. Okay, what does the Hariki Golf Forum want done? We want to understand the full extent of the risk that we're facing here so that we can take smart decisions about what to do about that risk. So the first step is that we need a full survey, a non-invasive survey of the wreck. We need to understand how close the rear of the ship is to going and releasing uh, its, its contents. And then we need serious discussions once we know how much oil is in the wreck about what to do about it. Now... If it turns out that uh, there isn't much oil in the wreck, then we have at least put that risk to bed. Um, and, you know, it, it is something that can then happily continue to sit away on the bottom of the ocean there. But if there is significant oil in it, which as we expect there might be, then we will need to look seriously about how we extract that. This is uh, an unusual thing for New Zealand, but it's not an unusual internationally. There are these wrecks all around the world right now where governments are coming together and uh, extracting the oil from them, extracting munitions from them, making sure that they are safe for their countries uh, into the future, and we should be doing the same here in New Zealand. Well, ironically, our Navy is doing the same in the Pacific. I mean, I've just done podcasts about the Navy going to places like Tuvalu and removing bombs from reefs. Wouldn't it be a natural assumption that they could help out here? 
Absolutely. And I hosted a meeting a couple of months ago and there was a naval officer who was part of our discussions. And my understanding is that they not only have the technology to be helpful here with a, a reconnaissance survey, but also are really um, interested and passionate about about this risk um, to New Zealand's marine environment, as you might expect. And so it's certainly not a case at the moment where there are not people with capability or not people who are passionate. The challenge at the moment seems to be squarely with Cabinet. Budget. Okay, so how much is it going to cost to do this? The estimate in the uh, previous papers provided to the government was that it would cost between 800000 and $1.6 million to do a full survey of the wreck. And then you might be looking at about five to six million to extract the oil. Those figures are a few years old now. They might have gone on up a little bit, but that's nowhere in comparison to the potential hundred million dollar plus risk that that same paper says we would be running uh, if indeed the rear of the um, of the Niagara is full of oil. And who would do it, do the survey? Uh, there are a range of international consortiums that do this uh, sort of thing. We also do have capability here in New Zealand. Um, and you you would think it would be a great opportunity um, to do something together, so to have the best of our local players working with international partners on this and to bring you know modern technology uh, to help us figure out when this uh, wreck is going to corrode through. And, I mean, speaking of international partners, Germany's offered its help. Is that right? Well, it looks uh, to have been very favourably inclined in, in media reports, which I think is very welcome. And you've seen this over the, you know, internationally, where, for example, the Australians and the Japanese have worked together on a on a submarine wreck um, in the northern Australian waters. This is happening around the world, where countries are sort of coming together to right the wrongs of the past. And if indeed the Germans are um, are willing to be helpful here, that is a, you know, that's a great thing and um, surely we should be having conversations with them about that. Okay, so why the stumbling block? Have have you made recent representations to the government to, you know, impressing upon them the the urgency of this? So that's what we're doing right now. Uh, So the Hauraki Golf Forum, uh, my board met last week and we were unanimous in our resolve to raise this with the responsible minister. That's the Associate Minister of Transport, Kiritapu Allen. But we also think other ministers, uh, conservation, defence, have a key role to play here as well. This is not just a one-issue concern and, and challenge for us as a country. Ultimately, they need to take a fresh paper to Cabinet and they need to ask for budget to do this. But again, we don't think this is um, a lot of money really to be spending to avert what could be a really significant risk for this beautiful part of the Hariki Gulf, our country and our international reputation. Well, unless that minister's got access to money, we're wasting their time. Having said that, it, it, it does seem as though the government, with pressure, especially the pressure that's coming on now, in, uh, in an election coming up, <laughs> you just don't know the, uh, whether there might be some extra money squirrelled away in one of those drawers that, uh, that could be used to do a survey. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Alex Rogers and Keith Gordon. Kakite anō. <laughs>